Nature Clean has been making chemical-free cleaning products and personal care products since 1963. Their ingredients are naturally derived from plants and minerals. They are effective and environmentally friendly. Many products by Nature Clean are approved by the USDA as being certified bio-based, and all of their products are vegan and not tested on animals. For more information, visit them online at natureclean.ca. New to the living healthy lifestyle or a healthy living veteran, this is your place for honest answers. Naturally Savvy with registered holistic nutritionist Andrea Donsky and health journalist Lisa Davis. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. My wonderful co-host Andrea is away today. I am super excited about today's show. I read this fantastic book by our guest Keisha Blair and it was so eye-opening and it, it really validated what I've been doing in my own life where I've been looking at uh, wealth. We're talking about holistic wealth today, uh, something that I've been doing without even realizing it. So it was super exciting. The book, Holistic Wealth, 32 Life Lessons to Help You Find Purpose, Prosperity, and Happiness. Keisha joins us now. Hi, Keisha. Hi, Lisa. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to have you on the program. So I always have gravitated toward jobs that I find very meaningful, uh, where I'm helping other people and doing something that really enriches my spirit. It hasn't always enriched my pocketbook. And so that is part of what you need to do with holistic wealth. But I was just so taken when I I love, there's so many quotes that I took from the book. Uh, The traditional concept of wealth is defined solely by a person's net income and material possessions needs to be revised by a whole new generation of women who value not just amassing physical assets, but also collecting experiences, engaging in meaningful work, and having more control over their time. Keisha, for people who don't know your story, if you would tell us a little bit about that and how that helped shape this way of thinking for you. Sure. And I, I love how you read that, Lisa. That's that's really a, a poignant part of the book and and really shaped um, my views in terms of where I'm at now. But yeah, so my husband died um, a few years ago and, you know, it was a rare illness. He had one that's so rare. Most doctors will never see it in their lifetime, only in textbooks. And so, um, yeah, and so it was one of those occurrences that's so rare, you know, I had to take a a, a step back to think about what was happening and how I would live my life going forward. And so, um, you know, after that, I, I had to take the time to think. I had two young children at the time. This was eight weeks after I gave birth to the second child. And so a lot of issues to work through and so many things to think about. But, you know, I, I took a one-year sabbatical. And, and what became clear to me is that, you know, we have to live mission-oriented lives. And you know how you read that part, that quote from the book? It became clear to me that, you know, um, financial wellness is key, but also other forms of wellness. Um, you know, just in terms of our our emotional well-being and how we eat, our diet, our, our physical well-being, um, as well as, as spiritual well-being in addition to the financial wellness. And yeah, I think that we do need to redefine, you know, the traditional notion of wealth, um, you know, tied to our net worth and our job titles, because it was clear to me, you know, my husband died at 34, and he did quite well in his career. He was very, he was talented. He was a talented accountant. And 
I, I felt like that was not his legacy. His legacy was more of that type of holistic wealth where he impacted so many lives. And I talk about that in the book as well, in his, his short time, that it became clear to me that um, it's not just about, um, you know, money and our net worth. It's about the impact that we leave on, on, on others' lives. So that's, that's kind of why, uh, you know, I came up with this framework and this concept around holistic wealth. Well, I love, too, how you write cultivating holistic wealth helps us to be mentally tough and to have grit to weather the inevitable storms and setbacks that life brings. I mean, you know that more than anybody. And Mm -hmm. so did you, you know, having cultivated this, this was after he passed, but it still was able to help you get through. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, because this was the framework. And, you know, it's funny because this book stems from this viral article that I wrote called my husband died at age 34 here are 40 life lessons i learned from it and an agent saw that article and said you need to write that book and so that's how this book started and each of those 40 lessons well it's condensed into 32 now for the book because some of them were very similar so we've condensed some um or what got me through it and you know that line that you just read that quote from the book about cultivating holistic wealth you know, enabling us to, 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 to weather the inevitable storms. These were some of the steps that I took, at least every single one of them were steps that I took to help me overcome this setback and to move forward and to move forward in a successful way, in a way where I wasn't just surviving, but I was thriving. And in a way that helped me to move forward with, with some mission and some purpose and, and and going forward, knowing that I was doing what was right, what felt right for me and what was, you know, um, based on my experience, what I felt was the type of life I should be living. Well, in the book, you talk about how that can be challenging when you have, you, there's three types of toxic naysayers, chronic, lack of resources, and the comparison Nelly. Talk to us about this and how these can get to you, but you have to be strong and just keep going with what you're, you know, you want to accomplish. Yeah, because, and that's why we moved that chapter up to, to chapter two. We wanted to set the stage for right. um, for the rest of the lessons that came because there's so many women, so many people, um, men and women, who go throughout life and we get these subliminal messages. And we also, we get them mainly from, you know, some toxic relationships in our lives. And sometimes if we're not careful, these messages prevent us from achieving our purpose. And that's why I wanted to put that up as chapter two in the book um, so that we get that out of the way, so that people know that, you know, um, you know, it's all well and good, um, you know, to go throughout life and, 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 and hear these things. But what we do with these messages is key and we can't afford to let them um, become our identity. And we can't afford to let these messages stop us from achieving our dreams, um, you know, and, and I got so many of them. And it's funny that when you go through a life altering setback, you, you, you will sometimes get these messages from people who might have good intentions, but, you know, they say things like, well, you know, it's just, you know, it's just you now. So don't even bother trying to do this. 
Don't even try to start the business that you wanted to start. Don't even think you're going to do that because you need to, you know, and, and, and some of these perspectives can be very conservative in terms of just stick with what you know and play it safe. Don't take any risks. And um, and that's why I wanted to, to state right up front in the book in chapter two that um, we absolutely have to go forward very confident in ourselves, knowing what we want from life, because we have one life to live. Nobody else can live that life for us. And we're going to have to be the ones to be accepting of the decisions that we make, and we're going to have to be comfortable with, with the decisions. And um, at the end of the day, we all want to know that we're living in our purpose, that we're doing the things that we want to be doing, and that we're happy with what we're doing. Absolutely. And this is a life lesson too, by the way, and this is life on your terms. In chapter three, on the next one, you have goal, excuse me, I accidentally skipped to four, goals with wisdom. You have a personal mission. You talk about writing a mission statement. Give us some clues on that, but people should get the book because so <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and then it tells you everything. So just give us a few hints. Right. So the personal personal mission statement, very important chapter two, because I feel like you know, it kind of lays the groundwork for um, what we want to do and, and, and what we want to become. You know, you know, people talk about New Year's resolutions, we talk about goals. And so having a personal mission is, is that statement that keeps you grounded in, in what you want to become. It's, it's who you are, it's aligned with your values. And so I would encourage anyone who's starting on you know, drafting up a personal mission statement to think about your values in life. Think about, you know, where you want to be and think about, you know, if if you were a spectator at your own funeral, what would you want people to be saying? What are the themes that you would want to hear time and time again? And it's so funny because I sat at my husband's funeral and it became clear to me that you know, and I say this in the book, that whether he died at 34 or 54 or 84, I think I would hear the same themes resonate. And it was really a lesson for me because it was it was excellence in everything he did and, you know, um, his community service, things like that. And, and whether or not, you know, you want those themes to, to, to resonate or you want a different set of themes to resonate, think about what you want to stand for. And what you want to pass on to your family, friends, anyone who's there. And that's kind of the guiding light for your personal mission statement. And see, it's, it's bigger than just a job title. And it's bigger than, a, you know, thinking about your net worth. It's, it's thinking about the impact that you want to leave and, and, and what you want said about you and living your life in, in those terms um, from now on. And and that's why I think the mission statement is so critical. And, and, and that's why it's also, you know, like an earlier chapter in the book as well. Yeah. I mean, I think all the life lessons are great. And uh, chapter five, comparison to others is the emperor of all emotional maladies. And I feel like in our culture now, it's worse than ever because of social media. 
You know, you're oh, always yeah. looking at going, oh, why do they have so many followers? Or how come I don't look like this? And what do I need to do? <laughs> right. And why is their career better than mine, even though I'm smarter than they are? Okay, I'll stop. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> not that I would feel ever feel that way. Um, but, you know, so it, it's very difficult, right? And, and then you share in the book in this chapter that this person, you know, they have a great profession. So everyone's like, you should just be happy and you should, you know, but they're not really hearing what this person wants or needs. And you that, again, that goes back to that having that strength within yourself to go after what you want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So important. And see, I lived, I lived through all of these. So like when you were talking about the social media and everything, Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. And, and for me, it was even, you know, worse than the average person. Cause then I, I remember having to even announce my husband's death on social media. I remember announcing it on Facebook the next morning and all the comments coming in and some of the comments too. And, 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 and then, yes, you watch, you know, because social media, everybody's life is out there and, and everybody puts forth the best, right? And so it's easy to think, what's happening to me? What's happening to my life? And that's why that chapter is so foremost in the book as well, because it, it, it's really important for us to really get grounded in our own, um, in ourselves and, and knowing that, okay, I'm on this path. You know, in the book, I talk about detours as well, because I, I viewed what happened to me as like a detour. And, you know, um, we all have these detours, whatever they may be. And sometimes we're on a path and, and we have to we, we come off that path for whatever reason. And, and we have to take a detour and telling yourself that you've conquered that detour, you know, um, sets yourself up sets you up for success and so in comparing yourself to others is 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 thinking about you know what I'm I've had these challenges but look at how I've overcome them and look at how I have grown and not necessarily in relation to somebody else but in terms of my own yardsticks and I I really believe that comparison to others is the is the is the basis for emotional maladies. Like I, I really believe that in our culture where it's celebrity focused, everything is fame and fortune. And those, those, you know, that seems to be, um, it, it drives the news cycle. I feel like it's, it's, it's something that we're, we're all grappling with in one way or the other. And, and, and we need to stay grounded and having the personal mission statement and, and dealing with detours and in, in the way I've laid it out, it's so important. And all of these became evident to me, you know, while I was going through that tragedy. And and so I wanted to put it in a framework that would be helpful to others. And and each of these life lessons, like I, I could go back and read the book several times when I wrote it, and it would almost speak to me differently. And and so it's a resource, even for me as the author, I go back several times and I read it and I'm like, wow. This is so true. And and I have to remember these things because, you know, these things happen cyclically. Like it's it's not just a one-time thing, you know, we'll deal with death maybe several times in our life. We'll deal with situations where we have to go back to this. And I think like it it has to be like a a resource that we keep with us, you know, for when we, we forget or we slip up or, you know. Oh, I completely agree. Remember to apply these. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that you can use it too, because it is, it's so helpful. I mean, what, what you were just talking about in terms of, 
you know, what we were talking about in terms of the comparison and the detour, you know, I had to, I, I feel like, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm not a household name. What, what is happening? <laughs> like, why, again, why are right. they a household? Right. I don't understand. I have the exactly. blah, blah, blah. And I had to, you know, kind of turn my focus to like, okay, I do really great shows and people do listen and they are popular. And yeah, not everybody knows who I am and I'm not going to be a big celebrity. And that's okay. I really enjoy my work and I get to connect with fabulous people like you. But for a while, I was just in this like negative space of like, oh, why should I keep doing this if this is all it is? But it's like, but it's not, it's, it's really amazing what you're doing. It just, when you start comparing is when it gets tough. And when it feels like everybody else is successful or more successful, you start to question yourself. You do. And it's funny you say that because now that I'm an author, I, I do too. Like I think yeah. about that and I'm like, oh my gosh, but this is so good. Why isn't, and you know what, just this morning I went back to the book and I thought it's about the message and it's about our mission. This is what it's about. You know, and I keep thinking about, you know, your message, my message, and if it's reaching people and it's touching lives, then that's my yardstick right there, you know? And so I, I completely agree with you like this. I think I will walk around with, and this is, you know, a book I, a book I wrote, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's ministered to me in so many ways. And I still have to keep, cause you know, we do things every day and sometimes we might not, it might not work out how we expect, or it might not go in, in the way that we think it will go, but it's a reminder to us that of what's important in life and 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 it's that impact and and the message and the mission and keeping that front and center so i i I completely completely um get what you're you're saying for sure well your book is really helping me with this uh chapter eight or lesson eight uh and chapter eight, the natural world around you. So I talk a lot on the show about how important nature is. I, I live in a town that's a third conservation land. I can be in a hundred acres uh, of woods in about a two minute drive. I'm regularly in the woods with my two dogs and with my family. And uh, I got these really cool little things you put on the bottom of your shoes that have little like pointy, you know, sharp things on them so you can walk on the ice. And, you know, I mean, I'm not like ice scaling mountains. I'm just walking on an icy path, but I have to be outside. And I love in the book you write, I believe that nature and our environment is part of our inherited natural wealth. I believe that vast oceans, forests, and mountains were put here to ensure our very survival and growth. By spending time in nature, we access holistic wealth through its physical, spiritual, and emotional benefits. Yes, I love that quote. I love it, love it, love it. And it's such a good true. writer. <laughs> Thank you. It, but it's yeah. so true, Lisa. Like you're reading it, and I get goosebumps because Aww. I had to live this. You know, like I had to live this. Like I had to. It was when I went on my sabbatical again. You know, like we all. You know, we we grow up and we take nature for granted, and it's there. You know, it's kind of just there. And I remember even saying in the book, you know, how my husband planted a living garden, and after he died, I was wondering, you know. <laughs> How, mm-hmm. how is it that they're still blooming and now he's dead and he planted um, those lovely um, flowers and it was on sabbatical again, that nature again. I felt like, you know, like I, I felt like I it was there to help me thrive and grow and that all of those flowers and everything that we have, nature is put here to ensure our survival and our growth and our you know, and, and, and for us to thrive. And I do believe that I, I, you know, when I was on sabbatical, like I spent time near the ocean almost every weekend, listen to the waves, 
I it brought me so much healing and joy that it's it's just it's just difficult to put into words and I'm so much more appreciative now and you know we talk about climate change and 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 loss of biodiversity and you know in the book I talk about birds singing and chirping in the mornings um it brings new meaning to me in terms of urgency and um and of course now of course with nature and and all of that like it it brings new meaning of the importance of us taking the time to spend there and to, to really take in what's around us because we get so caught up in life. We're going to work, dropping off kids, running errands, paying bills. It's the last thing we think about sometimes, really. Um, but it's, it's, it, it, it forms a very important part. You mentioned the hiking, and that was something very important to me, too, while I was on sabbatical and every morning I hiked for like an hour, an hour and a half and in the evening again and seeing the natural world um, and it's helping me to think about too, you know, what is important um, and so that chapter in the book is is one of my favorite of course and and I, I'm hoping that others too who get the chance to, to read the book will think about, you know, these things from a new lens, because for sure, when I went through what I did, I thought about these things in a new way, in a new, from a new perspective. Oh, good. Yeah. Reading the book, it's, it's been really, really eye-opening, and I highly encourage people to get holistic wealth. So in the first part, I should mention there's four parts. In the first part, you shared 11 life lessons to build your holistic wealth in the area of intentional life purpose. In part two, we're looking at financial independence. So that's what I like about the book is that you lay the groundwork to have a more holistic view of wealth. But then you also go into like things that are going to help with the well-planned uh, future, a plan for financial longevity, measured risks. Uh, one of the things I thought was really interesting was the real and fake constraints. Talk to us about that. Yeah, and yeah, very important. And I, I actually, um, you know, in my thought process and in terms of the book, I link it to um, a chapter that we spoke about earlier with naysayers, because when we get those subliminal messages, right. then we erect those fake constraints, you know, and because people tell us you can't, you can't, you can't. And then we say, well, we can't because and, and but that but then we're not thinking that's fake. It's not real. And so that's why, you know, I wanted to devote a whole chapter to taking measured risks is because I feel like, you know, We've grown up with these messages. We hear them through through um, our teen years and into adulthood, especially women sometimes. And all you hear is you can't, you can't, you can't um, to these big dreams that you may have. And, and, and that's why that chapter on identifying or learning how to identify a real constraint versus a fake constraint is so important because lots of the, 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 the constraints that we erect in our lives are, are fake. And in, in the book, I, I go through and identify some real ones and some fake constraints and, and, and you know, whether they're short term or long term, because I, I feel like, for instance, for me, widowhood is a constraint. It really oh, is, definitely. It's, it's especially at 31 um, with two young children. It's a it's a real constraint. But what I realized it it's not lasting um it's not lasting if we if we take the steps needed to to make it not lasting. It lasts if we don't take the steps that we need to. And so in thinking about my situation, I came up with some of those because I, I, I wanted people to think in terms of saying, yeah, you know, it, it is a constraint. And it's good to admit 
that it is a constraint, but it's also good to think, but you know what? I'm not going to let it last permanently and I'm not going to let it define me in a way where it becomes a disability. I'm going to go forth and I'm going to overcome this. And even though I'm, I'm admitting and I know it's going to be difficult because it's real, but I'm going to take it on and I, I'm going to challenge myself to get out of my comfort zone and do some things that, you know, other people might even say, really, are you really doing that? You're widowed mm-hmm. at 31 and you're still investing in something or you're still going back to school or you're still. And so that's that's why that chapter is so important, because I realized in thinking about even my situation that, you know, I need to I need to put this in a framework where I'm thinking, where I can think through what I need to do, even with the constraints that I have. And we all have constraints um, in different areas of our lives. Um, my life is just kind of like one example of how to, but we all have different constraints. And it's thinking about whether they're short-term and long-term and what we can do to overcome those constraints. Yeah. And I mean, I think another constraint is, is if you have debt and you talked about that when your husband did pass, you, luckily you didn't have much debt or any, because that would compound the hardships you are already going through. So how it's so hard to get free from debt, I think. The problem with our society is it's just we're all encouraged to buy more, buy more. Oh, use this plastic. It's fine. And then you've got this ridiculous yeah. interest fee, but you're too busy just shopping. I don't know. I, that's not, I'm not a big shopper. Yeah. Like I'm consignment shopping. So, But I do hear from people that like all of a sudden there's all this debt for different reasons. Yeah, no, you're right. And I, you know, when I started writing that chapter, like I, I kept thinking, oh my gosh, because like after my husband died, I had a funeral bill to pay. I had so many different bills that came as a result of death I had to deal with. And I thought to myself, can you imagine if I had debt in addition to that? Um, it would just be disastrous. And so one of the life lessons is, is, is pay off debt is to really just get out of debt because it can become an obstacle to achieving holistic wealth in so many ways because it affects so many areas of of your life and um, luckily for me when he died you know I was 31 I was still young we were still just starting a family so I didn't have much at the time and I didn't have student loans but I would encourage um, you know people to really look at their debt burden and try to reduce it because I've, I've spoke about two things, the two R's I call them in several articles that I've written online and they're financial resilience and financial resourcefulness. And I call them the Mm. two R's. And I think when we look at our spending, you know, because you're right with this consumer culture, it's all about buy this, buy that, you know, make your life easier, be more efficient. And we fall into those traps. And so when I think about spending, I think about what will help me to become financially resilient and what will help me to become financially resourceful. And I think if we think about our saving and investing with, you know, with those two lens, then we can really think about our spending and our purchases and think, well, do I really need that? Is that going to help me become more financially resilient? I don't think so, because some of these things are just, you know, consumer goods that are, you know, we use and dispose of, and they're not really adding to our, our resilience financially or resourcefulness. And so savings and investments do that. Um, and so I, I think about though, and even when I do my own, you know, like I think about my own spending, 
I pick up something nowadays in a store and I'm like, yeah, no, that's just, you know, that's just a right. want. It's not, it's not a need and it's not going to help me build a portfolio. And so when I think about the, the book and the different areas, the four parts of the portfolios that we talk about, that financial independence portfolio, if it's not helping me do that, I'm really going to have to think about what I'm spending on. Yeah, it's it's so important. Let's talk about part three and part four. Part three is physical and spiritual nourishment, and part four is goodwill and strong relationships. So, you know, it's funny because I don't, I wish Andrea was here, but not only because she would absolutely love what we're talking about, but because she tends to be more spiritual. And I, I, I don't know why I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm still figuring out what that means to me. But when you use the word spiritual, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so spiritual renewal um, means to me, um, you know, in the book I talk about dry bones. Because yes. when I talk about these metaphorical dry bones, I talk about things like anxiety and frustration and regrets and you know, those negative feelings that keep us trapped in the past and <clears throat> not able to move forward. And when I think about spiritual self-renewal, that's what I'm talking about in the book is getting rid of those um, dry bones, getting rid of those um, negative forces that and feelings that hold us back and um, prevent us from becoming all that we can and prevent us from achieving holistic wealth. Um, and sometimes when we go through a life altering setback, you know, like a divorce or an illness, a critical illness, it's easy to think about these things. It's easy to think I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. Um, if I had done things differently, if I had only, and we play that script in our minds over and over again. If I had just done this in the relationship, if I just had done this, told him some more things, I don't know what we tell mm -hmm. ourselves all the time, right? And when I talk about spiritual um, self-renewal, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a refresh and a renewal in our spiritual being and being able to really step back and cleanse ourselves and like think about how do I get these negative feelings out of my system so I can move forward, um, you know, and, and really um, make an impact. And so that's what I'm talking about mainly in the book, um, mm. because I know spirituality means so much to so many different people. I wanted it to be broad enough so that we could all see ourselves in there. And I know, for instance, when after, you know, after my husband died, I felt like I had these dry bones, you know, I felt like, if only the doctors had done this, and if only we had picked up those right. symptoms, and if only, and I'd go in circles, in circles, constantly. <sighs> and it was when I realized that I was firmly situating myself in the past, firmly situating, like, to be honest with you, like, I'd sit down and I'd think about the night in the hospital and the white plastic bag, and I, I have that in the book. And yes. for me, I'm firmly situating myself in the past, not able to move on. And I thought, no, I'm going to have to get rid of this. And that's what I talk about, the spiritual self-renewal, because that is spiritual, it's emotional. And it's, these are things that we all grapple with, but we're going to have to, you know, to find a way to get, get over those humps, to move forward and to, to, to not, you know, beat ourselves up about the things we should have done, the things we should have seen. And so that's, that's what I mean in the book. Yeah. I, and what's so nice, too, in this section is you have 
things on eating. You talk about your own experiencing, get, you know, experiences eating fresher foods, getting away from sugar, and recipes made from scratch. You also have daily exercise, which is so important, joyful hobbies. And just let listeners know the reason I'm going through these quickly is we're running out of time, which is, again, why you have to get this book, Holistic Wealth, 32 Life Lessons to Help You Find Purpose and Prosperity and excuse me, find purpose, prosperity, and happiness. You also have prayers and meditation. Uh, you talk about setbacks. And in the last part of the book, uh, talk to us a little bit about that. You talk about um, goodwill. You talk about relationships. Yeah, so all of those um, lessons, I find, help us. It, it's almost like a framework. And you know how nowadays we're seeing a lot on the Internet about gratitude, about... Right. helping others because that that releases all sorts of you know like good hormones and it, it helps us to really you know get or get outside of ourselves to, to to help others and and then it you know it, it makes us happier and 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 so those things I had found myself when I was on sabbatical really helped that I was not now focusing on myself I was not focusing on my situation or the past you know, I wasn't focusing on the tragedy. I was now getting past that and moving forward. And that's why all of those things that you just read, you know, you just mentioned are very important because they really form part and parcel of 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 cultivating that holistically wealthy lifestyle um, because they're all reinforcing and our relationships are key and they help us build resilience as well. Um, so yeah, so all of those are, you know, as mentioned in the book are very important. You know, something that I didn't mention that I want to be sure to mention is that in the book, you have some wonderful trailblazers, influencers, and celebrities. I love Dr. Dianora Rives. I've interviewed her, Dr. Mm -hmm. D. She's fantastic. Dr. Mm -hmm. Gail Saltz, Dr. Robert uh, Johnson. You have some really fantastic people. And, you know, I I had a book that came out in February of 2019, and I did the same thing. And it's so nice when you can not only utilize your own experiences and knowledge, but go to other experts as well. The book is so fantastic. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up. Keisha Blair, Holistic Wealth, 32 Life Lessons to Help You Find Purpose, Prosperity, and Happiness. Tell everybody all the ways they can find you. Yeah, so I'm on KeishaBlair.com. That's my main website. You can find me there. I have lots of resources. And um, if you want to contact me through the website, it's info at KeishaBlair.com. I'm on social media. Um, my, my handle is at Keisha O'Blair for both Instagram and Twitter and Facebook too, I think. So I love hearing from readers and, and I love hearing stories about, you know, people trying to live a holistically wealthy lifestyle. So if, if you reach out to me, I would be overjoyed and, and that's how you can find me. Wonderful. Well, I know that Andrea is going to want to speak with you and I'm going to want to talk with you again. So we'll definitely have you back. In the meantime, I want to thank you. Well, yeah, it's, you're just lovely. I want to thank you so much, Keisha. I want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on social media. I finally got a good social media handle, at Lisa Davis MPH, at Andrea Donsky, at Your Radio MD, and at Naturally Savvy. Thanks for listening, and stay well.